book of 1 John. 1 John. We're going to start a book study this morning. Guess what it is? <laughs> 1 John. John has three letters and a gospel. This is the same John that was called by Jesus at a very young age. He was actually the youngest of all the disciples. And uh, most scholars believe that he was just a teenager, probably high school age, when Jesus said, come and follow me. And he was the, he was the apostle that lived the longest. So um, actually, he was banished to an island, and, and no one ever really knows what happened to him. But um, we'll find out in heaven. Anyway, he is called the apostle of love. Um, his letters ring of a relationship that he discovered by living with Jesus for three years <laughs> and saw in the person of Jesus Christ. Love incarnate, the perfection of love. He saw that in Jesus to the point where he spent his whole life preaching about the love of God. And he's known as the apostle of love. They tried to kill him for preaching the gospel, but they put him in oil and they tried to boil him and he didn't die. Another miracle. So they ba banished him to the island of Patmos. But this is a wonderful letter. This is a letter all about the love of God. All about how when the gospel comes into our life, what it does to us and through us. So let's start in 1 John. We're going to look at chapter 1 this morning. Let's read through it and then we'll dig in. That which was from the beginning which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things I write to you, that your joy may be full. That's key. Remember that right there. His is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is God's word. Can we pray? Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it it's flows from your heart, and it flows to our greatest need. So Lord, we pray that you just bless this time as we look at this passage and bless this series, Lord, as we move through 1 John. Pray that it would change us, change us individually, change us in our families, change us as a, as a community, as a church. And Lord, you just work wonderful things, Lord, through this letter of John in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, Amen. The purpose of John's letter, this first John, is love, but in a certain context, the love of God in community. In the Greek, it's the word koinonia. Can you say that? 
koinonia. And many of you know what that word is. What it speaks of is true fellowship, true companionship, brotherhood, community, partnership, intimacy. It speaks of you have more in common with that fellow, with the people you're in koinonia with, more in common with them than even your own gender or your own nation that you come from, the own, own, your own culture or your own physical family. And that's what the gospel has come to do. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 that he, Paul says there's neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female. And he talks about how the gospel has turned us into a new humanity, basically a new race of people where we, what do we have in common? We have the grace of God. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have the atonement of Christ. We have these incredible truths that change us and transform us. And then we relate to each other out of these truths, not according to works and you need to look like this or act like this and you'll be accepted if you look. But the whole, the gospel comes to the person and comes to the church and then we pass on the grace of God to one another and it becomes nothing like the world has ever seen. That's the intention that Jesus had. When he, when he called his disciples, he lived in Koinonia with them for three years till he was taken to the cross, crucified for our sins, ultimately rising again. And he taught them how to live in Koinonia. And he just said to them, he said, I'm going away. I'm not going to be with you any longer, but I'm going to give you my Holy Spirit so that you take this community that we have, him and these 12 guys, minus one. Th these guys, and I want you to take this and I want you to expand it all over the globe. And that's really what the church, what's church history is all about. It's about the expansion of koinonia. The first usage of this word, koinonia, is in the book of Acts, Acts 2, 42 through 47, where we read a striking description of the common life shared by early Christian believers. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to communion and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need, they broke bread in their homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And that's where we see it, those verses encapsulate wonderfully what koinonia is all about. Coming together, sharing life, sharing food, sharing uh, communion. When we, when we take communion, we're sharing the sacraments, we're sharing the, the very things that Jesus gave us to remember his grace and to remember his love and to remember his finished work on the cross. And we share that with one another. It's more than just eating a little cracker. It, it's, it, it's about we give this to one another. We, we're, we're, we're sharing what has been done by Jesus Christ and re, we're reminding one another that it's, it's done. The work is complete. And that's what koinonia is. And it's the sharing in life. And to not be part of koinonia is to be cut off from the life of God. Even though you may pray and you may read your Bible, which we need to stay connected to God. That's the first priority. But the intention of Jesus was to not only bring us, to make us at peace with the Father, but also to make us at peace with one another, 
through the gospel. And so what is that called? It's called koinonia. So we're going to look at this in four sections if you're a note taker or an outliner. The hope for koinonia, the honesty in koinonia, and ultimately, ultimately the health of koinonia. So verses 1 through 4 are the hope of koinonia. John's hope, this is the, he, he starts out, my hope is that you will experience what I have experienced with Jesus Christ in the flesh. And he talks about how Jesus was the manifestation of the Father, and that's a complete description of the incarnation of all who God is in all of his glory and all of his righteousness was manifested in a physical body, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus was all God and all man. He was the God man <laughs> and he was, he was perfect. He, he didn't sin. And John here describes in the first verses as I saw him. He's writing to the church and saying, he looked at me, he talked with me, he embraced me, I gave him a hug, I shook his hand, he punched me in the arm, maybe. You know, he, he, he was a physical body, and this is important because uh, John is writing to the first heresy that was taking place in the church, and the first heresy didn't deny the deity of Christ, but denied the humanity of Christ, and it was the heresy of Gnosticism that spread throughout the early church, that first century church. And the idea was this, was Jesus was a spirit being, and he really did not have a physical body. He was like a phantom, the phantom Messiah, who would move through walls, and, you know, he was, he didn't have a physical body. And the, and the belief went down to the core was the thing in Gnosticism. It doesn't matter what we do with our physical bodies. This is all going to burn. It's all about our spiritual life. And the fruit of the heresy was, it wasn't righteousness. It was, it was uh, licentiousness. Because there was this idea, as long as I've got this spirit thing going, I'll let my flesh do whatever it wants to do. So that's, the, that's where this teaching led to. But basically, they were denying the humanity of Christ. And John is saying, he's making a, a very personal point to the church, to his brothers and sisters in the church, but he's making a very profound, global, important theological point, and that is, Jesus was real. When he got cut, blood came out. When the, the thorns went into his head, blood poured down. He, every blow that he took... When he went to the cross, he felt the pain of that as a human. And it says in Hebrews as well that Jesus was tempted in all points that, that we are tempted in. I mean, think about your week. Where have you been tempted this week? And we've all been tempted. But Jesus was tempted in those same ways. And it's, the book of Hebrews says he was tempted in all points so that now he can sympathize with our weaknesses. And then it goes on to say, so let us therefore boldly enter the throne room of grace. Because of this, we have a great high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. This is John's hope, the hope for koinonia in the church. It's easy to fantasize about the early church and its dynamics. But the truth is, even the early church struggled internally, struggled as a community. So when he talks about koinonia, he's talking about love. And, and, the, and how love comes into being. 
how love is manifest in a community of people. See, that's the idea. Jesus was real. We saw perfect love manifested in the flesh. And then what John will go on throughout the letter is saying, this can happen in koinonia, that his love can manifest in the body of Christ. But it was a process. It was a process for John. John was not a loving person. When John was first called by Jesus, we see him first heading out, and in Luke 9, it says, Now it came to pass, when the time had come for him to be received up, that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of Samaritans, these are the disciples, to prepare for him. But they did not uh, receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Basically, they, they rejected the Messiah and they said, Lord, just give us the word. We'll take them out. We'll send fire down. And what did Jesus, and this is John. God did a big work in John's heart. But he turned and rebuked them and said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. So when we look at John, he is the apostle of love, and his whole message is about the love of God. But it was a, he's a work in progress, just like we all are. And it's, it, it's, it's profound, <laughs> How God usually takes a person and he takes his greatest weakness and he uses that to become their greatest strength through the gospel. God loves working through weak people. God loves working through broken people. And we see this man, John, going back to Jesus and, and, and embracing him. And he says here that Jesus was the word of God. And what's the word of God? It's the Greek word logos, which speaks of the complete expression of God. And what John is saying in his hope for koinonia, what he's saying is that we must embrace the word to have true fellowship. Our fellowship is a tangible thing through the scriptures. It's, you know, unity. Everyone says, we just need to be unified. Well, that's great. But what do, we have uni what do we have unity in? We have unity in the word of God. When we use this, we, we need the word of God, not the iPad, the word of God, to create our community. This is how the house is built, through the, through the finished work of Christ and then the teaching of the apostles and, and, and uh, teaching of the apostles through the word of God. And he's, God's building a house. And we're connected together through the word. And so in order to have koinonia, G, uh, John says, we must embrace the word. Jesus being the full expression of the word of God, okay? It's the hope for koinonia. But then we see the honesty in, in koinonia. Look in verses 5. He says, his is the message. Who's his? Christ." which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at, uh, at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Now remember in verse 4, he's saying, I'm writing all these things that you might have joy. So the idea here is, listen up. I want you to be happy. I want you to enjoy life. 
I want you to enjoy community. I want you to enjoy marriage. I want you to enjoy friendship. I want you to enjoy your church. I want you to enjoy everything about life in koinonia. I want your joy to be full. And then he says, here's how it happens. God is light. In him is no darkness at all. And if we're going to walk with God and embrace God, then we're going to have to walk in the light as well. When I used to read this, I used to think, oh man, that means I got to fix up my life. I got I to gotta patch up myself. I need to get the, before I go to church, man, I got to take care of this junk in my life. I'm not going to go in there with all those people. I'm going to be, I got to basically take a shower to go take a bath. <laughs> I got to clean up to go be a part of the koinonia. And that's not what John is saying. Actually, it's just the opposite. He's bringing the reader to a threshold. That if I'm going to be in koinonia, I'm going to have to be real. I'm going to have to allow my life to be just as it is. But then as we read further, he, it's like the doctor pointing out the ailment, but then here's the prescription to heal the disease. But in order to heal the disease, we have to come into the light. We have to come into honesty and realness. That's what koinonia is. It's being real with one another, not because we're some good little Christians, we've got everything together, but because we have a great Savior whose work has been completed. And we come and we have fellowship in the realness of our weaknesses and our frailty and our flaws and our, our sin. And we connect. And we don't stay there, but again, we appropriate the finished work of Christ to one another. We remind ourselves of it. That's koinonia. That's why, you know, people, they, you know, they go to the bar. Why do they go to the bar? Because they throw back a few, right? And then they can just talk about anything. And remember back in the, in the last year, my wife, you know, she, you know they, they just talk about, they can just let it all hang out and be real. And they're having, in a sense, they're having a type of koinonia because it's a realness. And it's a tragedy because in this day and age, sometimes people, to get real and to get, be honest, they have to go to the bar and they can't do it, be real in church, and that's a tragedy. That is not a gospel-centered church. A gospel-centered church says, we, you are just who you are, the good, bad, and the, bad and the ugly. Warts and all, God loves you. And because of what he's done for you on the cross, we embrace you and we can have true fellowship and we're going to be a support to one another and we're going to remind ourselves and we're going to share life with one another because of the great truth that we have in Jesus Christ. It takes us into a life of being real. Light throughout the Old Testament speaks of God's presence. God's presence is always signaled by light in the temple when he led his people. And what it speaks of is the holiness of God. That the holiness means that, that he's separate. He's completely other than. He's not like us. He's perfect. Light speaks of perfection. We read in Revelation 21, the city had no need. What city? The, the, uh, the, the city of heaven. 
had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. In heaven, there's no need for the sun because the holiness and the glory of Jesus is going to shine through heaven. What's that going to be like? I don't know. I just can't wait to experience the glory of God. In Matthew 17, when Jesus was transfigured before him, his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as the light. And we read in Acts 9.3, And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and, he sudden, and a suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Here's the idea. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And every moment of every day, we live right before the holy face of God. Now think about that. Every day, we are living right before the holy face of God. Just that alone, that's radical. And what people tend to do is they try and drown out that reality. And that's what he speaks about. They walk in darkness. They, they, they believe something else. They drown out the reality that God is omniscient, which means he knows everything. And God is omnipresent, which means he's everywhere all the time. This is God. And each moment of every day, we are living right before the holy face of God. In his light. And so what John is saying is, deal with it. That's our light. God knows everything about us. Things we do in private, things we do in public. He know, we, where does that take us? And then he gives us the answer. It should take us to the cross, right? It's like a white sheet. And it's a perfectly white sheet. And it looks pretty good, but it has one little black dot on that white sheet. What do you notice? And that's what it feels like to walk before the holy face of God. We notice the imperfections. It's like looking in a mirror and you can't help but being real. Don't you think John had to figure this out? I mean, imagine being a disciple of Jesus and trying to pull a fast one on him. Hey, what were you doing yesterday? Uh, I was, you know, over the, yeah, really? And here's Jesus looking at you in the face. You're going, no, I'm just kidding. I know. You, ha you were forced to be real. What was it about the manifestation of Jesus Christ that was perfect truth and perfect light and perfect holiness, but with perfect love and perfect grace? What it did is it changed John's life, which in turn changed the world. And that's the idea here. He wants the church to tap into what he tapped into, what he experienced. He certainly had to be real. <laughs> we live in a world of masks. We have a mask for work. We have a mask for home. We have a mask for church. You know, we're, we're yelling at each other, driving into the memorial building. Shut up, kids. I'm going to kill you after church. You know, and you come in and whoop, you put on, praise the Lord. They're like fake teeth that come in like, with a smile. We do this. We we're chameleons. This is just the human nature. Every single one of us, we deal with that. Why? Because we want to be loved. We want to come into a room and feel accepted in love. So we will do personal transformation to be loved, to be accepted. The deepest need of every person is to be loved. 
And what John is telling us is that you can have your cake and eat it too. That you can be completely real and completely free and completely yourself and be completely loved and accepted all at the same time. That's what it means to walk in the light. I've told this story before, but uh, back when I was a musician, we used to play at Disneyland every year. And we play on, the, if you've ever been there, on the Tomorrowland stage, which is like this stage that comes up out of the ground. You know, it's pretty cool. Um, but we didn't get to go through the front gates, which was the happiest place on earth, which, you know, being, you know, basically you're parked 30 miles away, and then you have to buy your tickets for your whole family, and that's like $80,000. Then you're supposed to be happy when you walk in, right, when you see that sign, right? And the whole idea of being in Disneyland, it's a fairy tale, right? They're facades, you're walking through a world of facades of different lands and different people with masks and dancing around and you're, you, you get into it. That's why, we, that's why it's fun. But when you work there or you perform there, you go through the back exit where it's these big, these dirty gates and trash and mobile homes back there behind those facades and Goofy standing there holding his head smoking a cigarette. <laughs> that's the real I mean I that you know I still need counseling for that picture it was tough for years <laughs> you get the real Disneyland see the idea is that we tend to put up our facades and then put up our put on our masks but that will do nothing but keep us out of koinonia when we live in God's light we have fellowship with God, and we have fellowship with one another. And that's the objective, koinonia, because you were created for koinonia. You were created for koinonia with God, and yet we are cut off from God by sin, and we were created for koinonia with one another. When Adam and Eve sinned, he said, uh, he was looking for them. Where are you? The first thing that happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned was they were cut off from the koinonia that they loved with God. And they were not created for distance with God, but they were created for closeness with God. Every single one of you in this room, you were created for that. And walking in the light establishes our fellowship with God, and it's the very key ingredient of maintaining our relationship with God. Jesus said it in, in John's gospel. He talks about the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than the light uh, because their deeds were evil. And he says, for everyone practicing, or we could say habitually clinging to, hates evil, hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The idea here is let go. <laughs> Cling to Christ. Let, 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 that hap let that work happen. Now he's speaking to our relationship with God, but he's also preaching to the church. What kind of community are we? Are we a works-based community? Or are we a grace, gospel-based community? Because a work-based community, if you need to be perfect 
to be in koinonia, then you can't be real <laughs> because nobody is perfect. But if you're a gospel or grace-based community, then, like I said, just like with the Lord, you can have your cake and eat it too. You can be real, but also you know that you're loved. And there's nothing in this world like the gospel that can make that a reality for our lives. The key to fellowship with God is not perfection, but it's honesty and allowing our sin to be exposed. And when we walk in darkness, we have no partnership with God. It's letting that ha happen and then bringing it to the cross, okay? So that's the honesty in koinonia. And finally, the health of koinonia. This is healthy. What John is preaching is health for your soul, health for your heart, health for your life, for your family, health for your church. He's, he's, he's teaching us about how to be healthy and not compartmentalize our lives, but truly experience the, the a transformed life. When we keep our sin in the darkness, unexposed, we deceive ourselves, we become blind. We become blind to our own need. And the whole idea is just, we have a need. Walk in the light and just know, I need Jesus. I need what he's done for us on the cross, just like me. I, I need it, just like you. And we, we can relate in that. But to deny that is the, he says here in verses 8 through 10, it eventually leads to a blindness. I think of David. Remember David when he, he committed adultery in Second uh, Samuel and he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then in order to deal with his guilt and this whole affair that was going on, being the king, he sent Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, to the front lines purposely so that he'd be killed at the front lines to kind of just deal with this, this you know, soap opera that's going on in his life. And Uriah dies. <laughs> and the prophet Nathan comes to David and says, David, let me, I want to tell you uh, something that's going on. O king, there's this farmer and uh, he has many sheep. He's very wealthy. And there's a traveler, there's a traveler that came uh, down. And there was another man who was very poor. And he had just this one little lamb. So this man's staying at the rich man's house. And he's, he went out and he took the one little lamb that the poor man had. And he killed it to give dinner to this traveler who was his guest. And that was a great injustice to David. And David got red in the face and he said, tell me who this man is for he will die. And Nathan said, you're the man. You're the one. You're the king. You could have anything you wanted to. And if you even wanted more, all you had to do was ask God and he would have given it to you. But you went out and you took something that wasn't yours. And it was the whole, uh, it was the whole situation of David not dealing with his sin that led him to blindness. And when he heard this story, he couldn't even see it was him. He had lost track. He had lost touch with reality. And that's what happens. <laughs> when we don't walk in the light, we, we don't walk in reality. We, we lose touch of our own need for Christ, our own need for the gospel. I remember being in Ghana, Africa several years ago, and we went to this, uh, it was a slave trade um, it's like this castle. 
there's like this prison castle thing right on the coast. And they'd bring all the Africans down and they'd pile them into these, these rooms with no windows. <laughs> so sad. And they'd wait for the ships to come in, the slave trade ships to take them, you know, to um, across the Atlantic. Well, you know, they didn't, what would happen is they were so cut off from light for weeks at a time when they'd pull them out of this, uh, these cells and bring them to the ship. Many of them were blind. And so they're thinking this is, you know, who wants a blind slave? And they would just kill the slaves right there and throw them overboard on the little dinghies that were going out to the ship. When we're in darkness long enough, we, we're blind to our own need for the truth, for the truth, for our, our own need for grace, for our own need for what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And there's an important distinction here. It says, if you say you have no sin, that's important distinction because that's John speaking to the Gnosticism. Because the Gnostics believe that you were perfect, that you didn't have to deal with sin, that you didn't even have to recognize your need for forgiveness. They didn't even believe in sin. And I know people like that, that their worldview is that it doesn't really matter. It's just the ultimate in existentialism. But then he also says here in verse 10, but then he says, but you say you have not sinned. He's speaking to the person there who's not, he's speaking to the church who's saying that I don't have any problems. The Verse 8 is referring to Gnosticism. Verse 10 is speaking to spiritual pride. That I don't have issues. I don't have problems. I don't have sin. I don't, I'm doing just fine, right? Isn't that the mask we put on? <laughs> How you doing? Doing great. In reality, life stinks. You're going through a really hard time. See, a gospel-based community is not to meant to produce that kind of culture, but a culture of realness and honesty. One problem with spiritual elitism is that it's simply self-diagnosis. It's self-diagnosis. Now, sometimes if I'm ill, now, now they have these really cool websites, right? You can take your symptoms to web.com or, or uh, MedWeb or whatever, WebMed or, you know, there's a whole bunch of these different ones. There's these websites that you put in your symptoms and then things pop up. And the problem with those, and I, I don't know, I bet your doctor hates these websites. I bet if you call them and say, listen, I'm not feeling well, but I've looked it up on webmed.com and I think I know what it is, but I want to come in and check it out. He'll say, you know what, you might want to find another doctor, right? My doctor hates these websites because everyone's trying to self-diagnose themselves. So I'm, I can't, I'm not breathing well and I'm, I, I've got sweats and a sore throat and I go this, Angie, I have tuberculosis right here, all the symptoms, I've got them all. I've got headaches, I've just I've had a headache for two days and I'm kind of, my eyes are blurring and I look on, honey, I've got brain cancer. All my symptoms are right in there. The problem with self-diagnosis is that usually we're wrong. <laughs> but that's why God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Living in true koinonia 
It heals our hearts. It brings health to our bones, health to us emotionally, relationally, and in community. I think of a story that's the perfect picture of what John is speaking about. It's in Luke chapter 6, and it was on the Sabbath, and Jesus entered the synagogue, and he was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. So the scribes and the Pharisees watched him closely, whether he would heal on the Sabbath, that they might find an accusation against him. But he knew their thoughts, right? He's the light of the world. He knew what they were thinking. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, Arise and stand here. And he arose and stood. And then Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy? And when he had looked around at them all, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. And his hand was restored as whole as the other. And what astounds me in that narrative uh, in Luke's gospel is that here's this guy. Now, in, that, in this culture, in this Jewish culture, very rigid, legalistic culture, um, lots of self-righteousness, lots of spiritual pride, that's the antithesis of being real, okay? And so here's this guy, he's surrounded by these Pharisees, this spirit, these spiritual elitists, and he has a withered hand. Now, the belief was if you had some sort of deformity, that it meant that you sinned or your parents sinned and you were basically unclean. So this man lived his whole life when he was in public covering up his hand. I don't know how it was withered. It was just withered. I have no idea what that means, but it was a deformity. That's the point. And it had to be covered. It was something that he could never show in public. But then there's Jesus. And Jesus says, stretch out your hand. Notice he doesn't say which hand. He just says, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out the one that needed the touch from Jesus, and he exposed it. And in the process, he was healed. Being transparent and real is healthy. It heals us. And usually when someone says, how you doing, we put out our good hand. That's the one we want people to see. That's the one we carry around with us in public. But really what Jesus wants to touch is not the good hand, that doesn't need the healing, but our withered hand. And that's the one he wants us to bring into koinonia because God's grace is great. And Jesus would be saying that to you. Because of what I've done for you, the finished work of the cross, stretch out your hand. Stretch it out. What is that withered hand? He says here, don't say you're without sin. You're just deceiving yourself. You're just blinded to your own need. But confess your sins and you will be forgiven your sins and cleansed from what? All righteousness. Not just the sin, not just the withered hand, not just the things that we know about, that we're aware of, that, that are hang-ups that we deal with and say, am I going to still struggle with this all my life? Not the things we're aware of, but all unrighteousness, even the things that we don't, we're not aware of. Because we're... Not perfect. I am aware of sin in my life, but there's all kinds of pride and stuff that I'm not aware of yet. <laughs> but after I'm married for another 20 years, I will be aware of it. After I live a little bit longer and God teaches me, and I'm going to be aware of things, pride and selfishness that I, 
I'm aware of pride in my life and selfishness today that I wasn't aware of 20 years ago. You know, when you think you start out on a Christian walk, you think, oh man, I'm going to... I'm going to be like that guy, you know, that leader in the church. He probably has no problems. Look at how strong he is. It's just the opposite. The more you walk with Christ, the weaker you feel. The more in need you feel for for God's grace. But we're cleansed when we have, it's, he's speaking of a, he's, of a, it's a, um, it's a trajectory. It's a, it's, it's a lifestyle of confession. He's of being real with God being real with one another. We're, and then what happens? We're cleansed from all of our right, all righteousness. Things we know about, things we don't know about. Our sins of the past, our sins of the present, and even our sins of the future. We're cleansed from all unrighteousness. It says, and the truth is not in us. And what he means by that is, because there's no condemnation in this chapter. There's zero condemnation. There's only light and life, and love, and grace in this chapter. You're going to miss it if you legalize 1 John chapter 1. It's all, about, it's all about him wanting our joy to be full and to be real. He's just saying, and the truth is not in us. What he's saying is, you just don't know the gospel yet. You just don't know how great God's grace is yet. But you're going to get there because that's the truth. Confession is the very heart of salvation. It's the beginning part. Romans 10, 9 says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. See, there's a confession involved. And there's not one of us that doesn't need the grace of God, that doesn't need what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And you can't earn it. It's all his grace. And the way that you get grace is that you first need grace. Think of the thief on the cross. He recognizes, man, look at, he, he, he recognized. His heart was opened by the grace of God. And he said, I believe you are the Messiah. And Jesus, there on the cross, said, today you will be with me in paradise. He just re- and the other thief on the cross, he didn't recognize his need, and he perishes. What a picture for us. So we're going to share in communion, and man, embrace the word. <laughs> embrace the body, which is the bread, and embrace the cup, which is his blood, that has cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Everything from the past, everything in the present, everything in the future. That's the power of the gospel. And let the Holy Spirit move in your heart this morning as we receive communion together and we worship, okay? And we just take this text straight to a time of prayer and worship and taking communion together. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your great love. We thank you that you are a holy God, that you are not like us. And we just come to you and just the way we are. But we, oh Lord, we glory in the sacrifice of Christ. For without that we'd be lost. We thank you, Lord.
we prayed this morning even, that you would allow us to be connected together through grace, connected together through what this bread and this cup really means. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.